And now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I am very pleased to introduce today's special guest, lawyer, advocate, champion, and a leader. And on March 21st, the newest member of the Canadian Music Industry Hall of Fame, Graham Henderson, a man of many talents and many interests, is the president of Music Canada. In this role, he is the ambassador of the Canadian music industry, one of Canada's greatest cultural achievements. His members manufacture, produce, promote, and distribute music. And of course, let's not forget the very important role in cultivating and developing talented artists from classical performers to folk chanteurs to hip-hop recording artists. For many years, Mr. Henderson has worked tirelessly to protect the interests and promote the causes of its members, piracy, counterfeiting, and intellectual property rights among them. He has also led a significant transformation of the industry to more effectively respond to the changing music environment. The digital age, of course, as we know, has changed the score, and Mr. Henderson knows the importance of keeping pace. For the past 25 years, he has worked with artists in a number of ways. First as a lawyer specializing in music law, and later as a senior vice president, business affairs and e-commerce at Universal Music Canada. Before I turn over the podium to him, I wanted to let you know that Graham has very gener generously agreed to take questions from you, our live audience, at the end of his remarks. Uh, so warning to just think ahead of some great questions because he's looking forward to, to them. Um, so without further ado, Graham, thank you for being here and the podium is yours. When I draw uh, names out of hats, I generally draw the name of the person right beside me like I did with Jennifer at another thing. So I have to apologize to Arif from uh, ReSound because you were the second person I drew. And two guys from ReSound getting the prize, it starts to look fishy, I'm on the board. So I put your name back in and Barnaby, where are you? Just make sure that Gary knows you're the beneficiary of that. Okay, all right. Uh, so good afternoon, everybody. Uh, honored guests. Uh, we have uh, MPs uh, Del Mastro, Rajat, and Cash, uh, and we have Councillor Crawford here from the City of Toronto, uh, and uh, my all of my friends, uh, Allison, uh, and the Board of Directors. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and uh, you know, the Canadian Club prides itself, and I think we heard about that, uh, on being a leading platform uh, to engage Canadians on what matters most. Well, today, um, Canadians, and I think consequently their leaders, what matters most are jobs and the economy. Just last week, Toronto City Council adopted a new strategic plan uh, that's designed to accelerate economic growth and job creation. Uh, Ontario's Liberal government said in its recent throne speech, and I quote, that their central objectives will be fiscal responsibility, economic growth, and increased employment. Similarly, Tim Hudak in last week's National Post uh, talked about his plan for, quote, getting Ontario back on its feet with a balanced budget to create jobs. And nationally, uh, the NDP, uh, the official opposition, wrote to the finance minister pointing out that Canadians were counting on the government to work uh, with them, and I quote, to build a thriving economy that creates high-quality jobs. So it's about jobs and more specifically, I think, jobs for young people. That's what's on the mind of Canadians and consequently their leaders. And our message from Music Canada to decision makers at all levels is, this is where music can help you. 
And for those of you who, like me, like to tweet highlights, uh, our hashtag for today is music can help, perhaps not unsurprisingly. So feel free to bury your nose in your Twitter device, except for you. Uh, that's my former boss. Uh, I, I want him paying attention. Uh, uh, so anyway, I will, out, I will outline how, with a coordinated effort of government and the music community, we can leverage music to deliver jobs uh, and economic stimulus. But for all of the jobs our initiatives will create, we think, let us not forget that our actions will have a direct impact on the quality of life of our, of our great musicians who have given us so much and who contribute... I can't look at Andy when I say these things. Who, and who have given us so much and who contribute so materially to the international image of our nation, our provinces, our cities and towns. The ideas that I share are highlights from a study that Music Canada will be releasing on 21 March at Canadian Music Week. The report itself is the result of a couple years' worth of research, interviews and contributions from experts. But it does not pretend to have all of the answers though I hope it has a few. Uh, it is a study that is designed to get the discussion going. And though our partnerships today range far and wide, from the artist community to the studio community uh, and to the live community, I can never forget that it is my members, Sony, Warner and Universal, uh, represented here at the head table today, uh, who have green-lighted these activities, who support them and who pay for them. And before I go further, I want to add a word to Allison's to recognize our sponsor, Deezer. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, this is one of the most advanced music services in the world. It is one of the prime examples of innovation in the digital music space. I want to thank them for their sponsorship uh, and for their interest in Canada as a market and in our artists. So many of you in the room are well aware of the importance of music to the economy. Uh, just last year, in a groundbreaking study that was commissioned by Music Canada, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers determined that uh, the major and independent recording companies alone generated $400 million in spending and contributed a quarter billion dollars to the GDP. Thousands of solid, well-paying jobs, largely for young people in a cutting-edge digital environment. And no less an organization than the Ontario Chamber of Commerce uh, has named music as one of Ontario's global competitive advantages, along with traditional powerhouses, wait for it, mining and manufacturing. They call them the three M's. On the international stage, our musicians get a massive amount of notice and constitute a large part of how we are perceived as a society. Music is a huge part of brand Canada, a fact that we ignore to our detriment. There is something in the water here. Canada consistently punches above its musical weight. It's the 35th largest country in the world with the seventh largest music market. This is something to take note of. This is something to hold on to. And this is something to build on. Now, perhaps no sector has experienced the consequences of the digital revolution more directly than the music community. The entire ecosystem has been disrupted. Our community has embraced the challenge. Adaptation was necessary, but not always easy. And the process of transformation is not over. A $38 billion worldwide market has become a $16 billion worldwide market. But for the first time in 13 years, 
we have seen an increase in the size of that market. A very small one, but an increase nonetheless. And make no mistake, our much feared, much maligned copyright legislation played a role in this. The sky has not fallen. Children are not being frog marched to jail. Culture has not been locked down. And in fact, we're on the road to recovery. But copyright reform is only one piece of the puzzle. We are inheritors of a great tradition of government support for music. But most of the mechanisms that we've inherited were put in place in the 70s and the 80s and designed to deal with a radically different analog marketplace. It's almost as if we hadn't updated our emission standards since the 1960s. At Music Canada, we believe it's time to revisit the existing support mechanisms to see how they can be improved and adapted. And we believe it is time to explore new ways to support our sector. We live in a changed landscape. It is an environment in which digital sales have grown significantly, but not enough to make up for the diminution of physical sales. Revenues from the digital market are on a different scale from those derived from CDs. We sell singles, not albums. And streaming music generates a fraction of a penny per stream. While there are more and more digital services, they are not all created equal. And the landscape is littered with services that don't pay artists or copyright owners. Many of them appear to be legitimate to the consumer, aided by Google searches that obscure the simple existence, the mere existence of legal sources of music. As Robert Levine, the former editor of Billboard and the author of Free Ride wrote, it has never been easier to distribute a creative work it has never been harder to get paid for it. And music discovery, it's moving online. We need to start thinking and planning for a world in which people discover new Canadian music in different ways. We have relied for decades on a strategy that sex successfully exposed Canadians to new music by using radio. The audience is moving. Are we following it? It is also an accepted fact that live performance income has emerged as increasingly vital to the livelihood of musicians. What are we doing to help here? So we've identified five key opportunities for exploration and investment, which could serve, we think, as catalysts for the growth of commercial music industry. They are music education, digital innovation, music tourism, export expansion, and interconnected tax credits. So let's start with music education. We think this is nothing short of a game changer. And Chili Gonzalez himself has said that if we really want to raise the bar, this is the way to do it. And I agree. Our research regarding music education is being led by the Information and Communications Technology Council. This is a national think tank in Ottawa focused on technology, innovations, and skills. Working from a shared intuition, ICTC and Music Canada are laboring in fresh fields. We want to establish a connection between music education and music in general and a skilled, technical, savvy workforce. Vibrant music scenes are magnets for creative and innovative people. 
and the companies that employ them. Toronto, for example, has one of the largest and most diverse music markets in the world. It also has the fourth largest ICT workforce in North America. We see a strong correlation. We think this is not a coincidence. On the contrary, our rich ecosystem of music makers, music sellers, performance venues, and musicians is a key factor in attracting high-tech employers and employees. Austin, Texas, for example, recently published their 2012 economic impact study, and they noted that creativity, culture, music attract and retain talented people to their community. This, in turn, they said, impacts business recruitment, retention, expansion, and local entrepreneurship. Think about it. And music education is an important piece of this puzzle. It is widely known that it is a key component in developing young minds and preparing them for careers not just as musicians, but in science, technology, and mathematics. But as I pointed out at Premier Wynne's Jobs Roundtable two weeks ago, music education is, a pan, is, is Ontario's abandoned game changer. There are many people hearing this who will understand me when I say that music has a transformative power to open minds, to enhance collaborative skills, and to change lives. Highly successful people in various fields, including Commander Chris Hatfield and President Bill Clinton, have spoken of the essential role that music education played in preparing them for their career. This should not be discarded or lost in the shuffle. Now, a groundbreaking study by the Coalition for Music Education, Music Makes Us, and they're here today, surveyed schools across Canada finding deficiencies largely linked to lack of funding and prioritization, showing up in unqualified teachers, insufficient resources like proper music rooms and instruments, and minimal class time. My own experience, I've seen music rooms lose out to janitorial closets. I've seen my son watch Mr. Holland's opus to fulfill a credit uh, as a substitute for time with a, with a trained music teacher. This is frankly ridiculous. It's as if we suddenly decided that math or reading wasn't important anymore. Anyone with a child in our school system will recognize this instantly. Now, the private sector is stepping up. Music Canada, for example, recently announced a $250,000 donation to music education through our partners at Music Counts. This is a music education charity whose programs put instruments in children's hands in the classroom. Coalition Music, they're here today. And here in Toronto, they've taken an unprecedented step. This is a music company to create a leading-edge initiative with three education streams, including the business of music. How radical is that? Music Canada is also proud to support coalition. Private sector support is fantastic, but clearly there is a role for government to play in supporting music education and cultural scenes that serve to retain and attract young, talented workers. Think, for example, about participation. This is a federal government, this was a, a long-standing program of the federal government. It was successful and it was designed to encourage physical fitness. Well, if physical fitness is important, why not music education? The second area of focus in our research is digital innovation, and we were fortunate to have Darlene Gilliland, whom many of you know, somewhere here today, 
uh, lead this area of study. Clearly, in order to successfully evolve from analog to digital, we must embrace technology and use it to our benefit. We're all aware of, or all familiar with the other side of that coin. But our community has a long history of uh, embracing and using technology to create music and to engage fans. Our research shows, however, that despite best efforts, our funding programs do not do enough to encourage digital innovation. And Darlene's research uncovered three areas of opportunity. First, innovation needs to become a centerpiece of existing funding models. Second, we should leverage industry partnerships to jointly exploit emerging opportunities. And thirdly, programs should be used to create healthy markets for the sale of music and new models for monetization. So taking them one at a time, innovation. Innovative companies and artist entrepreneurs will be more likely to weather the storms of technological disruption. And therefore, it should be the goal of funding agencies, we think, to encourage and reward innovations that fundamentally improve core business functions, the chances for creator success and fan discovery. Factors new artist rating system is an example of how small changes to, the, to a program can bring about large-scale rewards. And if one judges applications by innovation criteria, innovation will necessarily move from the periphery to the core. Leveraging partnerships. Well, technology has to be leveraged to enhance music discovery and specifically the promotion of Canadian music if not through regulation, then through partnerships and incentives. Look, for example, at the pioneering example of CBC Music, which followed its listeners online. Similarly, in launching the brilliant new Z10, and I have to say, my friends at Grimm, I love it, uh, BlackBerry has put a strong focus on content and on building relationships with musicians and artists, as well as the companies who support them. With its Canadian roots, I know Rim, uh, BlackBerry sorry, will continue to be a strong private partner for the music community, and it has a great music store. Right, Charlie? Use it. We have also seen that when programming is done in Canada, as at the Canadian iTunes store or at Quebecor's brilliant Zeke.ca, there is a greater focus on domestic content. Funding programs and incentives, therefore, could power up these partnerships for the benefit of Canadian music. Now, monetization. Our report will talk about the challenges of, 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 of generating dollars from this business of pennies. Martin Mills, who is the founder of Beggar's Banquet, one of the largest independent record companies in the world, recently said, the demand for recorded music is higher than ever, and I know of no way that the investment of time and money that is needed for new music can be made to happen other than in the monetization of how people listen to recorded music. So with the transition to digital, digital consumption, how do we ensure enough scale in the sale or access to music to ensure adequate revenues and livelihood for our artists? We are all familiar with the horror stories. One CD sale being worth more, than, more to the indie band Grizzly Bear, for example, than 300,000 streams on Pandora. Something else that is new is that virtually all of our digital retailers are foreign-owned, presenting an unprecedented challenge to Canadian creators. 
How do we guarantee or ensure adequate shelf space for Canadian music? There are almost no Canadian-owned digital distribution platforms. A fact that I regard largely as a result of the complete failure of our 1980s era funding model and the absence of venture capital. And this is a common complaint from startups in Canada. But the market being what it is, we need more retailers like Deezer to prioritize our market, not just by launching here, but by investing in marketing here and in hiring Canadians. Deezer, for example, is making a commitment in that respect, and we anticipate this will mean greater scale for them and subsequently more opportunity for Canadian artists and music companies. And this takes us to our third area of exploration, to our hidden, unused superpower, our live music scene. Live music represents an enormous, an enormous latent potential to boost our economy through the enhancement of one of Canada's most important economic sectors, tourism. This is a sector that has slipped so profoundly that the Canadian Chamber of Commerce has listed it um, uh, has identified Canada's poor performance as one of our top ten barriers to competitiveness. But here again, music can help. At no point in our country's history have we ever systematically and comprehensively harnessed the power of music to encourage not tourism in general, but music tourism in particular. And tourism in, is important because at least in Ontario, and I suspect across the rest of the country, it is the single largest employer of young people. Supporters of live music, like our friends at TD, uh, who partner with us in the presentation of Minister Moore's Music Nights in Ottawa, they understand the contribution that live music makes to the communities and to the economy. Now, this is an idea that has already taken hold in Ontario, where Minister Chan, and I see his fabulous Chief of Staff, Christine Innes, here, uh, recently announced an ambitious plan to make Ontario one of the global destinations for music tourism. This is an achievable goal. This is not a pipe dream. We know from our economic impact study that over half of the jobs in the live music sector are here in Ontario. We know that we have one of the largest, most diverse music scenes in the world, and this gives us a built-in competitive global advantage. We also know from a report by the Ontario Arts Council that 9.5 million overnight tourists to Ontario participate, came here for arts and culture activities. And half of them, for half of them, music was the motivator. That's why they came. And it's a fact that arts and culture tourists stay longer and spend more. And here's another thing we know. In our previous study of Austin, Texas, we learned what a city can do when it sets out to establish itself as the live music capital of the world. Now, Austin's population is about one-third the size of Toronto. However, it has a commercial music industry that contributes $1.6 billion a year in economic impact to the city. This is two and a half times as large as the annual impact of our music industry. And music tourism accounts for nearly half that number. The difference is they have a plan. Now, we commend the work that's being done by the Government of Ontario and the City of Toronto, Mr. Mayor, Gary Crawford, that means you, in this area. 
And we are proud partners in that work with a diverse and growing cross-section of the live performance community, many of whom are also here today. Jesse Kumagai from Massey Hall, Jeff Cohen from Collective Concerts in the Horseshoe, and Emmanuel Patterson somewhere out there from Live Nation. Our published report will contain explicit recommendations to extend what is being done here in Ontario and Toronto to the rest of Canada. Now, as I mentioned off the top, Canadian artists and musicians are an integral part of brand Canada. Ask somebody in Germany, India, Japan, what they most associate with Canada, and I bet it's going to be a musician. In an interview for this report earlier this year, Duncan Mackay said that he learned, when he was president of SEMA, which is our de facto export office, that the Canadian artist who makes it in the international market is a cultural ambassador for our country. He went on to say that our musicians point to a vibrant, creative scene and a culturally diverse landscape, things that make Canada attractive to international investment. Tangible and intangible benefits alike accrue from international success of our artists. And it is money well spent for governments. With Canadian Blast documenting almost 700 business deals in the year 2010-2011 from its participating 98 Canadian music companies. Building on this success, our report will recommend a more elaborate private-public partnership entailing the creation of an export office where, ex where the expertise and experience already lies at the Canadian Independent Music Association. But we stress it must operate on an open-to-all basis. Key activities would be helping music companies and artists navigate the landscape of export funding, providing market intelligence, and facilitating business connections abroad to increase the sale, distribution, and promotion of Canadian music. Once again, we will also point to the importance of not just creating great music, but of supporting its success downstream, which when attempting to build an international fan base, necessarily now must include international marketing support, technological innovation, and social media. And finally, tax credits. Our final exploration is support through tax credits, both at the federal and provincial levels. This portion of our report was led by Nordicity Group, which has conducted extensive research in the field particularly focusing on Ontario's tax credit regime. You don't have to look far in this country to find a tax credit best practice. According to Nordicity, tax credits have played a critical role in underpinning rapid growth in the film industry where they have been in place for the longest and where their use is the most widespread. So let's apply this lesson to music. The economic rationale for tax credits and for, for the creative industries in Canada remains as strong today as it ever was. Unlike many industries, the creative industries are susceptible to high degrees of demand uncertainty. Consumer demand is frankly unknowable until the content has been created and paid for. Music companies must make extensive investments in A&R without any certainty that these investments will lead to economic return. Nordicity's 2011 analysis of the existing Ontario recording tax credit demonstrates that although it has a limited scope, for instance, it only applies to emerging Canadian artists and to domestic companies, it delivers a good return on investment 
For every dollar the Ontario government invests in the sound recording industry in the province through the OSRTC, it receives $1.27 in tax revenue. SEMA has recommended expanding the scope and level of existing tax credits, and we agree. But we have also demonstrated that it must mirror the film tax credit system in extending tax credit to foreign direct investors such as Sony, Universal, and Warner. We have shown this will generate a further $60 million in additional spending and 1,300 direct and indirect jobs. Jobs for young people, it works for film, it will work for music. In a powerful endorsement, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce supports our call for targeted provincial support of the music cluster so that the province can finally and fully capitalize on this global competitive advantage. So, the digital era has impacted every aspect of the music business, from production to delivery to consumer. It is imperative that our policies, funding programs, and public-private partnerships reflect this changed landscape. We have identified five key areas for exploration, but this, we think, is just the beginning. It is our hope that the report we release at Canadian Music Week will stimulate a wider discussion about how music can help make Canada stronger and more competitive, and how Canada can help music to thrive and prosper. We all win. Thank you. Hello. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Graham, and thank you for so generously offering to take questions from, from everyone here. Um, as most folks probably know, there are always a few rules uh, for Q&A periods. Uh, the first is if you'd like to ask a question, please raise your hand and catch my eye, and uh, one of the volunteers will come around and bring you the mic. Um, and the second and perhaps slightly more important rule is to remember to always phrase your question in the form of a question, <laughs> um, which should end with a question mark if we were writing it down. Um, <laughs> so perhaps as to kick things off, um, Graham, I'd love to hear, uh, remarkable to hear you compare um, the potential of Toronto to that which has been realized in Austin. So I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit more about what Toronto would look and feel like mm -hmm. if that were to become a reality. And I suspect there are a number of people in this room who might share that hope. Mm -hmm. And perhaps you could make a couple of comments on what uh, they might do uh, to help bring that to fruition? Mm -hmm. um, well, I should start by saying that this uh, idea, the, the, the concept of uh, the sort of the tale of two cities, Austin and Toronto, uh, is has been embraced by the city. And I'm, 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 I see Councillor Crawford here, but it's, it's not just Councillor Crawford. There's Councillors Cole and Thompson and the mayor's office, all of whom have, uh, and others, all of whom have recognized the potential. How do we look different? Well, if you look at what Austin had when they sort of started this process, which in the mid-80s was a very good television show called Austin City Limits and a very small parochial uh, regional convention called South by Southwest, which I was going to uh, and uh, in, the, in, the, in the late 80s, and, and look at what it has now. 
Um, I mean, for one thing, uh, Jeff, you and I were there in, in October at uh, ACL Fest, which has in October, that's one of, their other, one of their four major international festivals. And ACL Fest, 75,000 people a day for three days at Zilker Park, downtown Austin. And uh, as we left, the next year was literally selling out and they'd added three new days. So it's gonna run Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And most of those people are coming in from out of state so I think there's a huge music tourism piece, but also from the Austin study, you saw what they point to is we've got, they're saying we've got a great tech sector. And one of the reasons we've got a great tech sector is because we have a music scene. So I think it means more money for musicians. I think if we're bringing in tourists, then it may mean the difference between two shows at the, at the horseshoe. It may mean, as opposed to one, it may mean that we get more international stars coming. So it will make a very tangible difference in a very short period of time. And any uh, pieces of advice for folks in the room on what they can do to help bring that to fruition? Well, you know, any decision to spend money is always a political decision. So I would hope that uh, in, people in this room uh, are conscious of who their councillors are, councillors of who the MPPs are, who care, councillors cognizant of who the MPs are, who care, uh, and make sure that they hear the message, and it's our hashtag, that music can help, Vote for music. Done. Um, Gian. Hello. I was going to say hello there. Oh, number one. There you go. <laughs> uh, Graham, I was handed a microphone. My apologies in advance. Uh, <laughs> I got very I've well. always waited for this moment, though. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, I could ask you this afterwards, but it's much more fun to hold your account in front of people. So. Um, well done. Thank you for your talk and, and for the concrete examples that you give. And I was curious to get more clarification on um, one thing that you said. So you were talking about the shrinkage of the music economy worldwide, which of course have been, has been the story for the yeah. last uh, yeah. decade and a half. You, you cited the numbers of $38 billion down to $16 billion in the last 13 years. Mm -hmm. And of course, the study that came out this week mm -hmm. that some considered quite uh, good news to see that yeah. there was yeah. a slight uptick, mm -hmm. a very mm -hmm. slight uptick. Yeah. If you look at it, there's, it's, it the, the trajectory has been down mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, consistently. Mm -hmm. this, this is a small uh, uptick, and, and there's reason to believe in the worst-case scenario this is a blip, and in the best-case scenario, things have stabilized. You yeah. said we're fully on the road to recovery. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that? Well, I guess I fall into the optimist camp. So um, I don't look at, like I even said in one of the interviews, that some might think that this is, a, this is cause for cautious uh, optimism or a cautious celebration. I'm, I'm in the camp that it might be cause for a riotous one. Um, I, I think that um, when you've had, if you, if you look at the reasons for where we got, and then you look at the combination of circumstances that have helped us to stop that and start to turn it around. I don't see that going away. So Deezer's here, Spotify's coming. So more and more music services. It is harder and harder and harder to find pirated property online, right? It's difficult. And if we could get some more co cooperation from certain key players, we could really start to get to the point where it is a given that people acquire music legally. So I think that trend has been reversed. So uh, I, I would say that when you look at the range of terrific services, you know, and if you look at the change, I think, in public attitudes, 
that's the reason, that's why. But I just, you know, with our friends Ryerson in the room here, because I spoke at Ryerson a little while back, and I remember asking, uh, where is Ryerson? Over there. I remember asking in that room, who, so we're talking about music discovery, who, who here, you know, uses uh, radio, who here uses this, that, and I don't think anybody knew RDO or maybe one or two or Deezer. I mean, there's very, very few people who are aware of these fantastic services, so that is a huge challenge, but one I think that we can meet. Is that a reason for optimism? I don't know if like yeah. anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I guess just to clarify, I, yep. I would say that yep. I, I'd be asking if I think there's the recovery in terms of the, the, the power of the Canadian music business, which you make yeah. is, is absolute, but yep. in terms of whether you actually mean the road to recovery in terms of sales uh, increasing yeah. again. Yeah, I think, I think the pat uh, my own view is the pattern will continue. Uh, and it will continue in a large part because the services are here. And if we can do some of the things in here, you know, it will help to build that marketplace back. One of the things that I think has happened is that there's been an erosion for respect for music. I don't quite know how that's happened, but it has. And and I think if it, it, I didn't really address it in here, but it's going to. I think it'll come out in the in the paper. I think a lot of this, whether it's music education or if, if we can sort of get people to understand how important music is again why it matters to them, then I think that, that'll help. So sales up. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and table 11, please. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I thought I'd take this uh, opportunity because the, the forum in which I generally ask questions in the House of Commons, while well, the answers uh, uh, come back in a strange way, and, uh, <laughs> sometimes, that, which is why they call it question period and not answer yeah. period. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to asking a question and uh, and getting an answer. Um, uh, first of all, I just want to uh, congratulate uh, Graham and Music Canada for this work. This is essential work as we as we work to communicate with Canadians about the importance of music, the importance of of the music sector, but generally the importance of arts and culture mm -hmm. to uh, not just uh, the lifeblood of our country, but to our economy. So this is great stuff and it's, it's great to be here at a moment when the trajectory uh, f of revenue for the music industry is, is, has changed course mm -hmm. and is now uh, going north. Because you get to take credit seven. for it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, now there's many things to 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 get at in in your in your speech, but I wanted to ask you if you could just tease out a bit for us why music education is one of these five pillars. Uh, I think that for many people this m might come up as a surprise. Maybe not so much for the people here, but I think for Canadians generally, we need to know why you're saying this is important, not just for our kids, but for the sector. Mm -hmm. I think it goes to the uh, respect portion, um, and I think that um, uh, when when we're trying to when we're meeting with people and we're talking to people, one of the great advantages that we often have, which I don't which I don't think necessarily books or movies or others have, is that nine times out of ten, well maybe that's a slight exaggeration, the person you're talking to had some form of music education, and they're either a guitarist or a wannabe guitarist or something. So music education has touched them in a profound way, which kind of makes them our friends, because they can see, I think of Commander Hadfield, right, or you, Mr. Patterson. Uh, uh, there he is. Uh, but, you know, they're, 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 I, I think that that's, that's an important thing, and if, if we 
I think we're getting to the point where we're graduating cohorts of kids who've really had no access to meaningful music education. So on one level, it's strictly a question of trying to make sure that people in life are exposed to it so that when we're telling our stories to people, they understand it. What we're, you know, it's a way of educating people about the importance of music because they can see in their own lives how it's changed their lives. Um, so I think that's one reason. And then I think the other point, what we're trying to do with this study is governments today are very focused on our tech sector. So we want to graduate engineers. We want to, we want to, I, they, they, they tell us that all these other countries are graduating, you know, billions of this and billions of that. And the focus is on software engineers and, you know, that sort of thing. So liberal arts, English, music, those things don't get mentioned a lot in that conversation about what it is we need. And what we're, we're trying to show is, and, and, it, and it's coming as much from ICTC, and remember this is a, a, an innovation tech think tank, what's coming from them is they think that we're graduating students who may not be well-rounded. Uh, they're having difficulty attracting certain types of students to technological education. They think music can help them. So one of the things that we're trying to do is sort of establish a link, like, you know, music isn't just for artsies. It's not just about arts and culture. It's about everything. And it can actually help you to, um, uh, you know, to become a better rounded person. And it'll help, and, and uh, you know, it will, I mean, verifiably make you better at math, which would be good for me. <laughs> Does that, uh, you know, well, thank you, and thank you to the Honourable Member for Davenport. We, you're welcome here anytime, heckle-free. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Graham, and unfortunately we're out of time for questions, so thank you very much, and I'd like to invite Jennifer Sloan to uh, officially thank you. Thank you. As Allison said, I'm Jennifer Sloan from Target Canada, and we are so looking forward to being your neighbor very, very soon. Graham, um, it's my uh, great pleasure to thank you today, because not only are you a colleague, I consider you a good friend, and the Canadian music industry is so well served with you as its principal change agent and advocate, and you demonstrated that today. And ladies and gentlemen, if you listened earlier, Alan mentioned that Graham's being inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame on March 21st. And so once again, I'd like to personally say congratulations. And I think we'd all once again like to say congratulations. Your speech this afternoon reinforced the importance of these five key strategies for music in our digital environment. I have no doubt we will be listening carefully and activating our own brains on the future about these five strategies, music tourism, music education, digital innovation, tax credits, and export expansion. In these coming years will be very telling indeed as we're in interesting times now, but your efforts uh, to create a viable and sustainable music industry are to be commended. And as you continue to steward the industry through its rebirth, may your journey of exploration, education, and innovation always be on a high note. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, Jen, and, and thank you, um, Graham. 
I was thinking during your remarks about the impact that music has had on me personally, and uh, I thought it remarkable and probably notable that two um, very influential artists in my teenage years happened to be sitting at my table um, and took the time when their bands were beginning to come to our, my small and relatively insignificant southern Ontario town. Um, Gian Moxie Fruvis was a wonderful introduction to politics and literature for many young people at the time. And Andy, I don't think there was a teenager in my hometown in the 1990s who didn't have a memorable romantic moment to feel you closer. <laughs> so thank you both, and it was wonderful to have lunch with, with everyone. <laughs> so again, thank you all for being here. Um, thank you, Deezer, again for your support uh, of this really important discussion today. Um, Another little giveaway, it has been a day of giveaways. Uh, outside, uh, as you leave, um, we're very excited to provide everybody with an advanced reader's copy of a pretty interesting book that is coming out shortly called Decisive, How to Make Better Choices in Life and Work, and maybe in Music Education too, um, by Chip and Dan Heath. So those are, those are available courtesy of Random House just outside the, the front, and please feel free to, to grab one on your way out. Um, so this uh, formally concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We're very grateful to Rogers TV and to 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. To learn more about the Canadian Club, you can visit us anytime online at canadianclub.org. Thank you again, Graham, very much. Congratulations. Thank you all of you for being with us. And today's meeting is now adjourned. Have a wonderful afternoon.